Good morning. It is good to be worshiping on the lawn again and um, be outside. As you see, we have shirts that say the church has left the building. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today and talk about um, some instructions that make that true or could make that not true. And so we're going to be finishing up 2 Thessalonians this morning. So please find your seats. Start opening your Bible to 2 Thessalonians 3 already so we can be ready to go and we will we'll study God's Word. Now, I don't know if the kids will know this reference. Maybe because they bring this set of commercials back every now and then. But are, are you kids, let me ask you, do you guys know who the Energizer Bunny is? Yeah? Okay, what's, what's the phrase of the, what's the slogan for the Energizer Bunny? It keeps going and going and going. And it seems like every few years they bring it back and the commercials are, you know, they, they progressively have gotten more intriguing, right? And so now there could be nuclear war and the, you see this little bunny walking out of the, the, the explosion and it just keeps going and going. And, and it, there could be, I, I think they need to make another set for COVID and um, <laughs> just let your mind go there. You can go a lot of places with that. But this bunny just keeps going and won't stop, which is really cool for a commercial, sort of creepy if it's following you. But um, it it makes their point, and so we get it, that this battery is supposed to give energy that lets you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing, that lets this bunny keep doing what it's supposed to be doing. This morning I've titled our, our message, Energizer Christians. How can we keep going and going and going. Where do we find the strength to continue to do God's commands, to continue to do what God has asked us to do? Life gets tiring sometimes, right? Anyone ever get tired in life? Anyone ever feel like checking out? Or we're, we're, we feel like life is so busy that we can't even worry about what good things to do or what right things to do? Um, you know, we're in August right now of 2020. of an incredibly challenging year. And um, I love the memes that say, welcome to August, level eight of Jumanji has started. And um, I'm not even going to say it can't get any worse. I don't know what's going to happen this month. I said that like in April, (laughs) and that was just wrong. (laughs) Um, But the point is, God wants us to keep going. And God wants us to keep doing what is right, but he also wants us to keep doing what is good. And we're going to talk about this morning. He wants to encourage us to keep doing good, to help others do good, and to deal with sin, and to trust him for strength. And actually, those will be our three points this morning as we finish 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We've come to the last section of the book, actually of both books, and and our title is Essentials of a Life Pleasing to God. And over and over through these two books, Paul has mentioned, this is how you please God, or this pleases God, and this doesn't please God. Praise God he lets us know that, right? And doesn't just leave us blindly saying, well, I, I hope God doesn't get mad at this. But he tells us what pleases him, and he tells us what doesn't please him. And this last chapter has been all about pursuing things that matter. We talked about prayer and praying things that matter, praying eternal things for each other. Last week, we talked about using our time wisely for God and not being idle but rather doing what we should be doing. And and he went to even supporting yourself and the idea of not mooching off others or depending on others, but supporting yourself. Today, he's going to continue that thought and talk a little bit more about how to use your time wisely for good. What does that look like 
<clears throat> and so this is a text that God says, faithfully obey me where you are. With what, what I've called you to do today, faithfully obey me. And so we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18. And as we have been doing, I want to just read the whole chunk together, and then we'll break it apart into three points, three final instructions that, that Paul gives to this child church of his, to this fledgling church who is growing quickly in the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 3, starting at verse 13. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's bow our heads and pray that God would would use his word. Lord God, thank you for the reading of your word. I pray now as we study it that you would stir our hearts, convict our hearts to be doing what you ask us to do, Lord, to be counting our days, numbering our days, and using them for you. Lord, bless your word and um, open our hearts to it. In your name, amen. So we get right into those final instructions. And, and you, might under, you might see the beginning of verse 13. As for you, it really is a transition. And so you have to go back to last week's text where he's talking about not being idle and, and making sure that we are, are not living a lifestyle of being idle, but rather pulling our weight and doing what God has asked us to do. And so now he transitions, okay, what about those that aren't idle? What about those that... Um, that, are, that seem to be obeying God's word or that he's challenging the rest of the church. And so he starts with, as for you. It's a strong contrast to what has come before. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And this is one of those really short sentences that we could read and move on from quickly. But this morning, I want to take a couple of these sentences and, and chew on them a little bit, digest them a little bit, because while this is an easy sentence to read, it is a difficult sentence to put into practice in every area of our life. And so I want to think about that this morning and challenge us. He says, as for you, as for the rest of you, do not grow weary in doing good. Now, a couple things as we break this uh, apart. The first thing we have to understand is this is a command. As for you, to the rest of the church, do, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't stop doing good. And lest we think we're off the hook because we have jobs and we're providing for ourselves and, and yeah, the whole passage last week was for someone else. Lest we think we're off the hook, this is just as important of a command. It is an equal command to make sure we are doing what God asks us to do and not just avoiding idleness. Do you see the difference? I can avoid idleness and be working at my job and going through normal life and I can think that everything's fine But what this verse is saying, what Paul is saying, wait, 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 no, 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 no. Are you doing not just the right thing, but are you doing the good thing? Are you living for the kingdom? Are you living the great commission? And so this is a challenge for the rest of us and a challenge that if we aren't doing this is just as sinful as being idle and living a lifestyle of idleness. And so Paul just hits us between the eyes and says, as for you, don't grow weary in doing good. The word weary there is, is a, a word that I probably don't need to describe much. I think we've all felt that at times. It's, a, it's not just a tiredness, but a discouragement. 
It often was used to mean to lose one's motivation, to lose one's courage. I loved that side of it that I hadn't thought of before, to lose one's motivation and courage. We might say in in today's vernacular, I'm done. I'm done. I I can't do that anymore. I'm tired, and and I I don't see a result. And, And we just let life press in on us to where we're done doing good. And that's what Paul is speaking to here. Do not grow weary in doing good. You know, I think about what can make us tired of doing good. What can make us weary of doing good? Some of what sometimes makes us weary of doing good is the prior verses. When we see people that are idle, that are just coasting by, that are doing nothing, we're like, well, I'm not going to do all the work. There's a TV show I want to watch. Who knows what it is? And so that can make us weary of doing good. We get irritated at people. We don't want to be taken advantage of. The stress and pressure of life can make us weary. Hurt and heartache can make us weary. Difficult circumstances, self-centeredness can make us weary of doing good. Sometimes even just putting in our time. As, As I get older, my body's more tired. Things hurt a little bit more the next day or two or three days after I do them. And so it's easy to say, well, I've done my part. I've done my part. I'm going to let someone else do it now, and I'm going to rest and relax a little bit. The verse doesn't make distinctions. The command is don't grow weary in doing good. And that's for every one of us sitting here, every one of you listening from home. Don't grow weary of doing good. So how do we do that? How do we get the strength to to bear up and to continue to do what we know what we should be doing even when we're tired, even when we're weary? I love Isaiah 40 and the commands given there, the the, the encouragement given there. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And and Isaiah here starts with, just think of how big God is. Think of how great God is. You can't understand him. He has strength that will never end. And then he says, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary as they're hiking through Zion. Oh, wait, that's for our high schoolers that are back. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But but they who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So today, if you're struggling with weariness, with being tired, go back to the source. Go back to the God who has all strength, who created all things, and and ask and humbly say, I am tired, I am weary. Give me strength to do what I know I should do. Give me strength to not be weary in doing good. That That last statement there that we should be doing good is also good to think about. Sometimes we can equate that with doing right. And, and I think NIV translation translates that, unfortunately, because the word actually isn't to do what's right. The word is to do what is noble or beneficial to others, what is good. There's really no better, better way to, to translate that. And so what the encouragement is, what the challenge is, what good thing are you supposed to do today for God, for the kingdom? What good thing are you supposed to do tomorrow? And, and we search for those things. We look for those things. We proactively chase those things. 
And so, yes, we should do the right thing, but we should go beyond that and seek to do the good thing. Now, the right thing is good, but there's a proactiveness with the word good that we sometimes don't understand when we think of just, I'm not going to sin. I'm going to do the right thing. I think this is particularly true of, of those that um, were in this situation because we just talked about the idleness and that they should be confronted. And if you don't work, you don't eat. But this is the balance to that. Don't stop thinking you, you, can't, you shouldn't do good. In fact, you should be helping people. And that's the hard line of how do we obey this verse and the ones that are prior? How do we do good to all people, but yet draw a line in the sand of when we're enabling sinful behavior? And that's where we've got to be in prayer. We've got to be in the spirit. and We've got to seek wisdom because both are true. So what is the good thing for you? What's the next good thing for you? What are ways that you can be used for the kingdom of God. This is such a small statement, but it's a big statement. So I call it a big, small statement for those that love contradictions and sentences. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 back this up, which um, Jim, one of our elders, mentioned this morning. And let us not grow weary of doing good. This is a, a pattern for Paul. He keeps saying, don't grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. And he gives some reasoning there that if, if, you continue, if you don't grow weary, if you continue to do it, God will reward that. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so we are called in, in a number of verses to do good. Imagine the impact of this on the Great Commission. We're called to make disciples, right? To go to all nations and share the gospel. I actually think this command to do good to all people just meshes with that so perfectly because as we do good as we do things for the kingdom of god we are showing the gospel and opening doors to share the gospel and we never just want to show the gospel and we never just want to share the gospel it's effective when we show and share the gospel and doing good for people is one of the ways to do that do we have time to do what's good Do we have time to do something that's beneficial for someone else? Well, some of you do. Some of you don't and should because we pack our schedules so full. But do we have time to center our lives on the kingdom of God? That's really the question that we're asking this morning. It's actually not hard to do, but we have to choose. It's not hard to do, but we have to choose. Let me me illustrate it. And, And I think this is something that we need to brainstorm for ideas a little bit. So I, I'm going to ask us, I hope it don't cause feedback all over the place. I might. Um, what are ways we can do good for people in our lives? Just give me practical ideas. You can talk. <laughs> We're outside. You can talk more. <laughs> I'm messing with the camera. <laughs> no, no, what are ways we can do good? Give me ideas. What are, let, let, let's think through some of the spheres of our life. What are ways you can do good for your family? Pray for them, okay? Acts of service. Let's get really practical. What was that over here? Get a job, job, okay? That serves your family. That's right. It does. That's what he talked about in the prior passage. Acts of service. Doing, so, so even things like doing a chore for someone else in your family or getting them, okay, in my family, getting them Starbucks when they love Starbucks, um, it's, it's a simple thing, but it's a loving thing. It's doing good for someone else. 
Now, now think about your neighborhood. What might be some ways, creative ways, you can do good in your neighborhood? Mowing the lawn for an elderly neighbor. Absolutely. Do you think that makes a difference? Do you think that might open doors for the Great Commission? Yeah, yeah. I mean, all, the, all of God's commands work together for what he wants to do. What are some other things you could do for your neighborhood? Pick up trash, yeah. And, and you might say, well, no one's going to notice it. I need to wear a sign. Or, no, they'll notice it. There are people in your neighborhood that look out their windows spying on people all day. I guarantee it. They will notice it. This isn't hard to figure out what to do. What a, give me some other ideas for neighborhood. Host a front yard gathering. Yeah. Maybe it's a, a barbecue. Maybe it's something. Great idea. Someone else had an idea. Second harvest reaches our neighborhood right here. And, and we're doing good for our neighborhood. When we go out and we say the church has left the building, when we go out for Project Touch and we give gifts to the neighborhood, that's a way of, of ministering to your neighborhood. Sometimes walking through your neighborhood, and you could, you could take a walk as a family tonight, walk through your neighborhood and just pray for houses as you go by. And that is doing good for your neighborhood. Maybe they'll ask what you're doing. Don't shy away from it. Say, I'm praying that God will bless you. And I have never, like I, a few months ago, I, said, I challenged us to pray for each other and ask what we could pray for. I have never had anyone get mad at me for praying that God would bless them. Never. In fact, we, we, we tried that. I try to put into practice what we talk about. And we did that with our neighbor. And I don't know if, I, I don't know if I've shared this story. Um, and I just said, hey, uh, he was out there. And I walked over and said, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? And for the next 20 minutes, I heard what was happening with his job and, and I was able to pray for him, and I'm still praying for him with some things that are happening with his job. And then a week ago, when, when they heard the news about Susie, they came and said, you know, we've been praying for Susie now every night, and we believe God answers prayer. You never know what a simple act of doing good, of not being weary and doing good, might do for the kingdom. And we've got to connect this to the commission, Great Commission. We've got to connect this to what God is doing. Down at the bottom of your notes, you see four circles, right? And these are just to give you some ideas of spheres of influence, spheres, circles that we can do good in. The first one is family that you've already given some, some ideas for. And so one of our circles is family. Next circle, I would put the word church. How do we do good within the church of God? How are we doing good for each other? And there's all kinds of things we can be doing, whether it be notes or meals or words of encouragement or um, just all kinds of great things that you guys are so skilled at coming up with. But my challenge to you this morning is if we're wearing shirts that say the church has left the building, don't just do it for the church. Do it for people outside the church. The third sphere is your neighborhood. The fourth circle is either work or school. And I know not everyone may have that. Some of you are at home discipling your children. It's a wonderful thing. But if you have a job and if you're going to school, what are ways that you can be doing good at those things? See, practicing doing the good thing means thinking of every area of my life and saying, how can I act the Great Commission in this area? How can I implement doing good in this area? And if I'm not 
then I am not ordering my days around the kingdom of God. And in many ways, I'm idle, just like the people we talked about last week and the challenge there. And so the question is, not what should I be doing, not just what should I be doing, what could I be doing for the kingdom of God? This is an incredible opportunity. You know, we, we, we say the church has left the building, but we haven't unless we're acting like the church outside of the building. That makes sense? We, we, say, we have church for everyone to say the church has left the building, but unless we act like the church when we're out of the building, it doesn't, we're lying. It doesn't make sense. And so if we're going to say the church has left the building, we've got to be the church all week. We've got to be the church in each of these spheres to think through how can I do good in my family? How can I do good in my church family? How can I do good in my neighborhood? How can I do good at work or at school? And we have to proactively choose to do that. You know, those of you coming back from camp, the high schoolers coming back from camp, your theme was rooted and making sure our actions are rooted in Scripture, right? Making sure we're doing the things that Scripture says. This is your first test. Scripture says to not grow weary in doing good, so are you going to do good for people this week? It's not just a test for our high schoolers. It's a test for all of us. So this week, plan a time. Plan a time to do something good for someone else, something that benefits someone else with no seeking of reward, no seeking of benefit for yourself. And then let's see what happens when we obey. So here's what I'd like you to do. If you have a pen or a pencil, if, you have a pen or, uh, if you're taking notes, you probably have a pen or pencil. If not, you can do this in your head. I, I, I want to get beyond, oh, Pastor Ron said that on Sunday. I want you to write down a time that you're going to plan on doing something good for someone else. Schedule it. If you have your phone, pull out your calendar and schedule it. Pick a time and schedule it. We're going to take two minutes right now and say, let's do this. And make sure we schedule it. Make sure we're serious about not growing weary in doing good. And we'll see in the next verse why this needs to be taken seriously. So schedule it. If you need to talk to your spouse, that's fine. Maybe you don't have an exact time and you're going to say, by this time in the week, I will have done something good. For somebody in one of those circles, I would challenge you to do something in every one of those circles this week. The title is to be Energizer Christians. That means we keep going and going and going. And we keep doing good and doing good and doing good no matter what. No matter what we feel, no matter what circumstances are, but we are going to honor God and his command. And make no mistake, this is a command. Okay. That's the the big, small first phrase. Do good. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't stop doing good is point number one. I guess I never filled in the blank, right? Don't stop doing good. I got all excited about this one. We're wearing the shirts. It fits what we're doing. um, We want the church to leave the building. We want to do good, but don't stop doing good is point number one. Point number two, challenge each other to do right and good. Challenge each other to do right and good and address disobedience. Now, this is where it gets a little dicey. This is where it gets a little more challenging, right? It's like, okay, wait, wait, it's great to talk about it, but I'm supposed to challenge others to do it? 
and we as a church are supposed to address disobedience? Absolutely. And I don't say that with glee. I don't say that as one hoping we get an opportunity to address disobedience. That's just sort of the creepy side of the Energizer Bunny. I, I say this because if we are to take God's commands seriously and be the church, we've got to challenge each other to be the church. And we've got to point out when we're not in love and in gentleness as we're going to see. But we've got to be serious about this. Verse 14 goes on. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, and let me just stop there for a moment because it's real easy to read that and say, yeah, I know someone that needs this command and I know someone that needs this command. Oh, you know that part about doing good? That, that's just a, a, a guidance, a suggestion. No, no, these are all commands. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter. And the word for obey is really cool. It's a different word than is often used for obey. This word is used of a doorkeeper who goes to the door and listens and, and, and hears who's coming and then opens the door for them, then acts on what they hear. And so it, the idea is to hear and pay attention to God's word, to the commands, and then do it. And that's the word here for obey. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Those are really uncomfortable words to hear in our society. In a society of participation awards, a society that doesn't want to say anything negative to each other, a society of safe spaces, this God's word says, take note of that person, have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And, and this whole section, and we can, we can combine this with a whole lot of other verses, and I think I listed some of them in your notes, is how do we address when there's disobedience in a way that challenges each other to do what is right and good? And, and there's two ways to challenge each other. There's a positive and a negative, right? There's the carrot and the stick. And the carrot is when we say, hey, let's get together and do good for our neighborhood. Let's get together and do good for our community. Let's get together and honor God in this way. That's the positive side where we are coming together and encouraging each other to obey God. The stick side, the negative side, is when there's consequences for disobedience. And yes, this verse is dealing with those that are idle in the section before, but do you notice how Paul broadens it to every command that's in this letter, including the command to do good and not grow weary in doing good? And if you think about those phrases, take note of that person. Don't just excuse it away. Don't just turn a blind eye to disobedience, to those that are walking in sin, to those that are struggling with their walk with God. But then he gives some instructions. Now, one of the things we have to notice, context, 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 right? With these commands in 2 Thessalonians, these are all repeated commands from 1 Thessalonians. So these are all commands that he's repeating that they've already been told, they've already been confronted on, they've already been warned on, and they still aren't obeying God. So and we'll talk about church discipline in a moment. What we see here is actually we're down the road in church discipline. The first few steps have already been taken. So this is not a description of where you start the process. Does that make sense? Again, context when we study scripture is so important. But this is further down in that process. The, the idea of, of having nothing to do with them and warn them. 
The, the word means to not get mixed up with them. Um, and, and if you think about it, when someone's walking in sin, when someone's deliberately disobeying God, they know God's word, they've been confronted with God's word, and they deliberately are disobeying God, the command is don't get mixed up with them. And, and quite frankly, that command has two different reasons, I would argue. The first is to protect you. Bad company corrupts good morals, Paul says to the church at Corinth. And so part of it is don't get mixed up with them and don't get involved in their sin. Don't give, give credibility to their sin. Just stay away from that. I, I pray for my, my kids all the time that they will choose friends that are walking with God, that they will choose friends that care about God's commands and God's word because I don't want them getting mixed up with those that aren't. Not that we shouldn't be acquaintances and reach them with the gospel. You have the great commission, but this is talking about an intimate relationship. This is talking about a close relationship, in this case, in the church, in the church family. And so it's for us that this command is given. It's also for them, as Paul goes on to say here, so that they will be ashamed. And and we have to understand the Eastern culture that this is written to is an honor-shame culture And so the way that a society, the way that a group brought someone in line is when they made a point of them being out of line. And that that was shame for them. And whereas this is not saying that I'm going to do a billboard and list all of Joe's sins on it for the world to see so I can shame him. That's a different kind of shaming than, than this culture would have done. This kind of shaming is more going to the person and saying, you know, I see you're not, you're not following God's word here. And do you realize that affects the whole group? Do you, do you realize that affects the church? That affects all of our testimony? Brother, sister, I want you to be walking with God. I want you to be in fellowship with God. I want to be able to feel close to you because we have the same goals and priorities and we're both walking to God with God. And I can't do that if you're still in sin. That's the kind of statements that this is talking about. Some have said, well, this goes to excommunication, and and I'm going to challenge that this morning. This verse probably is not talking about excommunication from the church. This is a different step in the process. In fact, the word here doesn't include any sort of official action. This is more of a social action, a social ostracism, a withdrawing of close fellowship from them. And quite frankly, if someone's not walking with God, can you have close fellowship with them? Can light dwell with darkness? It can't happen. And if it can, we need to look at our own lives. And so Paul here is saying some hard things. He's saying, if you want to do good for others, if you love them enough, you won't let them continue to walk in sin. You won't. In fact, the word for warn there, admonish and exhort as a brother, and and all through this, he keeps using the word brother or it can be translated brothers and sisters. The word for warn there is to warn someone about the dire consequences of their actions. Don't run into the street. That's the kind of warning that's here. Are there dire consequences to that? Yeah, and hopefully we just stop some kids from dying right now. (laughs) Don't go off that cliff. Yeah, if my kids are... (laughs) Sorry, too loud. (laughs) If my kids are running towards a cliff, I'm going to warn them in that way. Don't root for the angel. Oh, sorry. Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) 
Warning of dire consequences. <laughs> I'm going to get emails about that one. <laughs> so let's talk about church discipline for a moment. Because this is something that we don't talk about very often, but we will whenever it comes up in Scripture. And I know it's uncomfortable. And I know it's all right. And some of that is because it's been abused at times. And sometimes we delight in church discipline. I can't wait. And I'm going to watch for what something someone's doing because so we can say we can do church discipline. And if you're looking forward to the process, then you shouldn't be part of the process. Or maybe you should, but on the other side of it. Church discipline, it's important to understand. And I want to give us just sort of an overview, starting with Matthew 18. And, and I mentioned the Matthew 18 passage there. You can go this week and study that. But Matthew 18 starts with a personal offense or if, if there is a relational issue that you know about or someone that you're close to, and it says first go to the person privately, right? And see if it can be resolved between you and that person. And if it isn't resolved there, then he says take two or three witnesses along that they together can say, brother, we love you. We want you to walk with God, but what you're doing isn't right. How you're treating your wife isn't right how you're treating your kids in the right, whatever it is. And so we want you to come back to, to what God has said. And so that's the second step. The third step then, Matthew 18, Jesus says to bring it to the church. And that is a broad, that, that's a broad category that has multiple steps within it. Bring it to the church probably means starting with church leadership, with the elders, pastor elders, and and talking it through and saying what to do then. And then there are several steps within that. And what's interesting is we think of that next step as excommunication. But there, we, we see in Scripture there's several steps there. One of them is this step in 2 Thessalonians, which is a social distancing. It's not to the point of excommunication yet, but the next is to, to start to confront and, and distance. And that's hard. It's hard with people we love. But it's not saying in this case to the Thessalonians an absolute removal of any discussion or an absolute removal of any um, eating together or, or it actually isn't even prohibiting them from coming to church, it looks like, in Second Thessalonians. So they're, part, they're, they're seeing it. You're trying to bring them in, which is why the, the next verse says to, to warn them as a brother, don't treat them as an enemy, but then we know in 1 Corinthians 5, that command it had gotten so bad, the person was so disobedient, none of that worked, that in 1 Corinthians 5, the command was to remove him from your assembly. And that's excommunication. I know this is hard stuff to, to think through. How could we do this to someone we love? You know, I, I see this in parenting. How can I set, set boundaries and discipline my kids that I love? It's because you love them that you'll set boundaries and discipline them. Trust me, I was in youth ministry a long time, and I could tell the ones that didn't have boundaries or disciplines. None of you here, I'm sure, that were in youth ministry with me. It makes a difference. And so because we love people, we will bring God's word to bear in a gentle, loving fashion, but yet firm. And that is what Paul is doing for this church. If any of you won't follow these commands, if they won't obey, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed so that he'll come back. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. 
And so all those things I just mentioned are the actions. And I should have told you where on your notes to put it. That's the actions of church discipline. Go to them privately, then bring someone else along, then go to the church, and there's some social distancing because we're not on the same page, but reaching out to them, and then finally excommunication if someone is just refusing to walk with God and bringing sin into the community of believers. The goal of church discipline, and this comes from the verse to warn as a brother and a number of other verses like 2 Corinthians 2.7, the goal is always to restore the brother or sister to community and save them from destruction. Always, always, always. The goal is not to punish. The goal is not to make them feel really bad for what they've done so they can suffer like I've suffered. Because that's where we go, right? We don't want to forgive someone until we feel like they've really been sorry enough. The goal is to restore. To restore to fellowship. If a brother or sister says, you know what? I see, what you've been, I see what you've been saying and I repent of that. I see that I've been going about this the wrong way and what I've been doing hasn't been pleasing to God. I can see the sin. At that point then, the forgiveness and the grace of God that we even sang about this morning just pours in because our God is a God of grace. The goal of this isn't to punish, but to bring back into to God's grace and love and to relationship with him. The last point under church discipline is what attitude should we have? That's the actions, the goal. The attitude is to not regard them as an enemy, according to this verse. It can be really easy to despise someone else, to look down on them because they're not doing the things I think they should be doing. What does God's word say? Warn them as a brother, as someone you love, as someone that you're in relationship with and want to stay in relationship an enemy, hey, you can fire your shots, you're rid of them and go your way. A brother, you can't do that. A brother's family. And so our attitude should be one that infuses tenderness into the process, that infuses gentleness into the process. And I think why Paul is placing this here, I think this is actually probably more, these two verses are more of, of a challenge and, and Paul is trying to, to address those that are zealous to confront sin. Those that are, are anxious to say, yeah, I'm going to go tell those idle people what they're doing wrong. Yeah. And I think this is a challenge to them that Paul is concerned about how we rebuke sin. In Galatians 6, one, and Galatians 6 has so many similar principles to what we're talking about this morning. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers... If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, there's the, there's the goal, in an attitude of gentleness. There's the attitude, in a spirit of gentleness. But then he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. I don't think that's meaning being tempted by the same sin. I think it's being tempted by the sin of pride. The sin that says, I'm better the sin that says he's less or she's less than me because they have sin in their lives. Good thing I don't have sin in my life. And so our attitude is a gentle restoration, a loving confrontation. One author said, deal with sin firmly but charitably. And we see the responsibility of community here. We, we see 
that yes, this is hard, but this too is the good thing. This too is the good thing. And so we're commanded to not, not stop doing the good thing, doing the, the things that God wants us to do. And then the command is to challenge others to do what is right and good and confront when they don't in love, in gentleness, in a spirit of restoration. But then we get to verse 16. And the last point this morning is we need to look to Jesus as the source of our ability to do right and good. Look to Jesus as the source of our ability to do right and good. Verse 16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. And this begins the, the actual benediction to the letter, the end part of it. And, and he gives two ways that Jesus gives strength. And, and the Lord of peace here, remember Paul, whenever he's, he's using the word Lord, he's almost always referring to Jesus. And so he's saying here, may Jesus, the Lord of peace, himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord or Jesus be with you all. So how does Jesus give us strength? Two ways, through peace and through presence through peace and through presence. See, the first one, Jesus gives us peace because he earned our peace on the cross. He bought our peace on the cross. And he bought our peace first with with God because our sins have separated us from God. Our sin, whenever we, we don't do the good thing or the right thing, that is a separation between us and God. That is a, a sinful action that results in, in a, a consequence of death. The wages of sin are death. But Jesus, the Lord of peace, said, I will step in. And he lived a perfect life on this planet. And with no sin, there should have been no consequence for that sin. But yet he was crucified on a cross in our place. That should have been me. That should have been you hanging on that cross. And he died a death I should have died. Because that is the consequence of sin. And it's the right consequence of sin. But he took that and said, it's done. It is finished. That sin is paid for. You don't have to pay that payment anymore. And he gave us his righteousness And he made us at peace with God. We were at enmity or we were opposed to God. And when we come to Jesus Christ, we are now at peace with God. That's what it means when it says the Lord of peace. And we can't have peace with each other until we have peace with God. We can't do the right and the good things without peace with God. You can't uncouple these. See, peace here is a well-being. It's a trust in God. It's, it's unbroken, it's constant, no matter the situation. We have peace with God when we are rightly in his will, when we are rightly trusting him. This is the gospel. The gospel is what gives us strength to not grow weary of doing good for others. The gospel is what gives me strength when I'm tired and sitting on the couch and I don't even want to get up and my neighbor can mow his own lawn. And the gospel is what makes me get up and say, Jesus did so much more. And Jesus gave his life for so much more. And praise God, on the third day, he rose again, defeating sin and proving that our sin was taken care of. And so we have eternal life when we follow him. That's what peace is about. 
And that's what gives us strength to do the right thing for God. It actually gives us motivation to do the right thing and the good thing for God too, right? And that motivation is part of our issue. We don't do what we're not motivated to do because we are self-centered people. But God, through, through his son Jesus, stepped in and brought peace and changed our lives. The verse says, at all times in every way, showing just how broad the peace that Jesus gives is. It applies everywhere. It applies to every situation, right? There is no place that I can get away from the peace that God gives me that through Jesus Christ. There's a peace when we think of the end times as this church was worried about the end times and have we missed Jesus coming back? There's a peace that this church could experience while they were experiencing persecution. There's a peace regarding what they see in the world. There is a peace God gives. In, in fact, if we are walking with him, we have peace no matter what the consequences are in our world. We don't have to live in fear. I don't care whether it's of the results of an election, whether it's the results of a virus, whether it's the results of possible World War III. Oh, no, that was, that was January. Um, we can live at peace, even in 2020. And in fact, if we're struggling with peace, we're struggling with being right with God and understanding that the biggest thing has already been taken care of and all of these things don't even compare. This week, again, I, I, I've shared this before, like six months ago. Um, I was in our bathroom. And over a year ago, before Susie's diagnosis, we, when we were going through James, we had put, um, how is God working through a difficulty in your life? And Susie had put on the, the mirror, God is working through our physical difficulties. That was before this last year. And I saw it again this week as we're rejoicing and celebrating. And I'm thinking, what an important reminder of God's peace. That God has been working, no matter the circumstances. No matter whether the day was a day we didn't feel like celebrating or whether a day we had much to celebrate. And village, God is working in your life. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. It's not just, oh, I feel good about life. No, a, a deep peace, trust God. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then that last phrase, the Lord be with you all, he reminds us of his presence. Jesus is with you no matter your circumstance, no matter what you're going through. And that should give us motivation and strength to again do the good thing, to do what he asks us to do. Paul then concludes in 17 and 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And probably what's happening, I mean, none of us witnessed this, but from his writings, it really looks like he usually used a scribe for his letters where he would dictate it and the scribe would write it down, an amanuensis that's called. But at the end of every one of his letters, he'd grab the pen. Okay, he'd take the pen from the amanuensis and he would sign something at the end so that they would know this was actually from Paul. It was common at the time that if you wrote a letter to a group, if you could pick someone famous and sign their name, it gave it more credibility. And, and so this was his way of saying, this is actually from me. And it was his way of actually saying, I care about you enough to take this. And, and in Galatians 6, it says he wrote with large letters, which makes us think he had some eye issues possibly. 
Um, All of Philemon, it looks like he wrote by hand. Into 1 Corinthians and Colossians, we read this. But he says, yeah, this is from me. And, And I think the implication is because I love you, because I care about you. This is caring concern from a spiritual father for his children. He says, this is a sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. And he concludes with reminding us of the presence of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. How do we live a life pleasing to God? In today's text, we don't stop doing good. We intentionally and proactively do good. We challenge each other to do good. And we remember and rely on the peace and the strength that Jesus gives. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for challenging us with your word. And Lord, the the challenge to do what you would have us do because of your death on the cross, because of the resurrection, because of the peace you have bought us, Lord. Help us to live in light of that. Help us to live like the church has actually left the building and be the church all week. And if we wear these shirts, help that to be a reminder to not grow weary in doing good, to be intentional about the Great Commission. Thank you for your word, God. As we enter into the Lord's Supper, may you help us remember that strength that you give, that peace that you give, that you gave on the cross as you took the penalty for our sins, as you restored relationship between us and God the Father, as you modeled what it meant to address sin and to restore a people from sin with grace and peace. Lord, as we today re-covenant with you as we take the Lord's Supper and remember your sacrifice, but also remember our response to your sacrifice, Lord, Burn these images of your word in our hearts. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for that peace. A peace that is completely undeserved, that is completely because of your grace. Thank you, God, in your name.